Okay, welcome back to another episode of Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, my guest today is Don Burnett. Don is the co-founder and CEO of Kodak Robotics. They are an autonomous trucking company. They are a portfolio company uh, of Tusk Ventures. Don has actually been on the podcast before, so congrats on being a uh, repeat guest. Don, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bradley. It's great to be here. So, uh, you know, I want to talk about about the news from from the other day about the Series B race that you guys did. But just in case people who are listening maybe didn't happen to catch the episode two and a half years ago, um, let's start off a little bit about you, background, kind of how you got to this concept, and kind of what you're doing with Kodiak. Absolutely. So, uh, I'm Don Burnett. I'm the CEO, as you said, here at Kodiak. I've been working in the self-driving space for almost 14 years now, so it's been quite a long time. Uh, started back as an early member of the Google self-driving car team, where I was a technical lead on the software side. I went on to co-found a self-driving trucking startup called Auto. Auto got acquired by Uber, so I was worked at the Uber team for a while, and then ultimately decided to leave and... Um, start Kodiak. And there was a time there in the space where the consensus was building, I think this was around 2015, everybody was really excited about the technology. And uh, there was this real push toward the robo-taxi application. And for me, being on the front lines as a software engineer working on the technology, I just felt like that was a little bit misguided. And I was looking for an application for this technology that was perhaps a bit more commercially viable, but also mm-hmm. technically feasible. And that's yeah. when I got really excited about the prospects of long haul trucking. I thought that there was a real need for the technology, and I'm sure we'll get into that now. You know, this was six years ago, so um, it's it's looking ever more prescient now. And um, yeah, I just I felt. Well, and not 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 just a real need, but you know, just look. The reason why, for example, we you know, other than sort of a lot of faith in Don, that we invested in Kodak was his vision, which just to me made so much sense. Which is, is there a world one day where trucks are driving around the streets of Manhattan by themselves? Sure, I don't know when, but yeah, of course, at one point. But th- there's a world right now where trucks can, with the right technology, with the kind of technology that that Kodiak has created, um, just basically do most of the work going straight on I-10, some kind of long haul trucking where you won't need a driver and they can take a three hour nap or a six hour break or whatever it is. And given the national shortage of truckers and given sort of all of the need that we have to move stuff from point A to point B, it just seemed to then and still now just seems like sort of the most obvious logical application of this thing. Would you say that's still the vision? That's absolutely right. When you look at interstate highway systems you have really structured environments everybody's moving more or less the same direction you have a really um structured lane network um and trucks get in the they they get in the right lane the rightmost lane and they drive generally slower than the moving traffic and so there's very little interactions and so ultimately i believe that it's the the simplest of the self-driving problems to solve and as you said i i10 i20 i40 massive corridors running across the country where you can you can set these trucks free and let them move freight and and the the benefit of self-driving trucks is that they can move more or less continuously like these trucks can operate for more than 24 hours at a time whereas with human drivers they need to to take lots of breaks they're restricted by hours of service and things like that and do do you envision a world where the truck is fully autonomous or there's a driver who is kind of going back and forth between 
her his own uh, skills and, and the autonomous version of the truck. I think there's a world for both of those visions. But what Kodiak specifically is working on is the latter, which is there. Oh, well, I think it was the latter. Now I'm not not sure which order you said them in. I think that we're we're working on the vision where the truck is fully empty. That's where I think you get the most bang for the buck. That's where I think you really unlock the opportunity. There's still opportunities for truck drivers to be a part of the system. So we're really only targeting the highway portion of long haul routes. So think about uh, goods that need to move from Atlanta to LA. Right now, that's a four day trip with lots of stops in the middle. You can imagine that a human driver on a manual truck takes a truckload, a full truckload, 53 foot trailer, brings it to a truck terminal, an autonomous terminal on or nearby the highway on the Atlanta side, we swap that trailer onto an autonomous tractor and the autonomous tractor gets onto the highway and drives 2000 miles across the country nonstop, pulls off to the side into another terminal on the LA side. And then we switch it back to a human driver who actually takes it the rest of the way into the much more technical, uh, more suburban type of driving environments and delivers that truckload where it needs to be. And so you still have humans in the loop on either end ferrying freight on the shorter haul, which is where truck drivers actually really enjoy working. So we can increase the um, driver productivity and, um, and, and continue to, to employ drivers in the system while taking the boring, monotonous thousands of miles of, in the middle of nowhere and give them to the autonomous trucks. And so for people who are sitting here thinking, well, it's just going to put a lot of truckers out of work. Explain kind of the the current status of the trucking shortage, and um, you know where the the what it means right now for kind of American consumers and the American economy that we don't have enough truckers. It's a perpetual problem that has existed for a long time. The ATA, the American Trucking Association, just a few weeks ago put out a new report showing that there was over eighty thousand truck driver shortage. Uh, compared to the supply and the demand for the need to move goods right now. And it's it's only been growing over the last several years. Um, truck, If you talk to trucking companies, they will always tell you their number one challenge is to hire and retain truck drivers. The problem is the, the value proposition of, of moving freight is not enough to outweigh the very high cost of doing this job. It's, it's difficult for people to be on the road four or five days at a time out away from their families. It's not, it's not an exciting uh, proposition for, for a lot of people. Some people really enjoy it, but for a lot of people, they don't. And so folks get into the trucking business only to find out, actually, this is not the lifestyle that I want to be living in 2021. And so the industry as a whole is finding it very difficult to find very highly skilled because it's a difficult job. It's it's a very difficult job. It takes a lot of training, takes a lot of experience. The industry as a whole is finding it very difficult to find those experienced drivers who are willing to uh, put in the days and hours on the road uh, at a time. And it's it's been a it's been a problem for the industry. And now we're starting to see all kinds of issues in the supply chain, of course. And some of them are related to the driver shortage, not all of them, but some of them definitely are. And I think now we're seeing an opportunity for self-driving to really step in and, and improve efficiency where it didn't exist before. And then, by the way, 
you talked about how hard it is just to, to get truckers, all the problems of once they're on the road, human beings being asked to do these incredibly difficult tasks results in accidents, results in problems. Uh, so how much of that would you say is avoidable uh, if we were using the kind of technology you guys are working on? Absolutely. And the technology still has a ways to go. We've we've made some incredible advances over the last three years for sure at Kodiak and, and as an industry. I think the industry has come a long way. And these days, if you get into one of our trucks, you'll drive down the road, uh, very human-like handling merges and cut-ins and traffic. It's really eye-opening every time I even still get in the truck today. And I'm like, wow, this is this is an amazing, this is an amazing experience. These trucks are incredibly safe. They're incredibly capable. And we're at the point now where our trucks can drive hundreds of miles down the road without any intervention or help from a human driver. So the drive, you know, we have safety drivers behind the wheel today, but they they don't, they most often don't have to touch or, or do anything to the system. We're now moving commercial freight on a daily basis with our fleet to the point where these trucks don't have any challenges that the road throws at them that they can't handle. So the technology has really come a long way. And I think it really will add safety and reduce collisions and reduce traffic incidents on the road and congestion, right? So these trucks also are not aggressive drivers. They're not greedy drivers. They don't swerve all around. And so I think we can also affect uh, congestion as well, which is something that the regulators are really excited about. So why are self-driving trucks so far ahead of self-driving cars? I would imagine most people listening to this would say, great, I'm all for the the benefits that autonomous trucks can, can bring, but when do I have to stop getting behind the wheel? Why is that? Well, I think they're just much different problems. When you think about self-driving cars, you you tend to think about what we now call robo taxis, right? Think about your Ubers or your Lyfts or your 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 taxi services. Not so much the personal personally owned vehicles. And the challenge is that most of the demand for the taxi business happens to be in places where people really want to be. And when people really want to be in a place, that means there's a lot of congestion and there's a lot of density. Think New York City, which you're very familiar with, San Francisco, Chicago. There are lots of places where Driving is tangibly more difficult. I know when I have to personally drive up in San Francisco, it's it's a much more taxing experience than even in the South Bay where I live. And so the driving challenge becomes more difficult. And people often ask, how do you measure difficulty? And that's a really hard thing to articulate. But in my experience, one way to think about it is number of interactions per unit time. So how many times does the vehicle have to interact with other objects per second or per minute, right? And if you measure that metric in dense urban environments, it's significantly higher than the, the metric that you would measure on open interstate highways. Right. And that really goes to the complexity of the challenge. It's just more, it's much more difficult problem to solve. Yeah. So, so you guys just announced some big news last week. You raised $125 million. So congratulations. That, that's fantastic. Um, what are you going to do with the money? It's really, really exciting time in the self-driving space, uh, particularly for Kodak, but for the industry as a whole. And I think this, this fundraise, along with other news that's coming out from other companies, really goes to show that there's a tremendous amount of support for self-driving. And uh, $125 million is, is by far... Um, the most money that that we've ever had. And this really goes to 
a hyper growth cycle for Kodiak. We will be growing over the next 12 months. We're going to double our employee headcount. We're going to expand our autonomous service capabilities. We're going to be expanding our routes. So some of your listeners might not know, we've been operating out of Dallas, Texas. That's where our main testing and operations facility is. We've been driving commercially from Dallas to Houston, Dallas to San Antonio, Dallas to Austin. But we're going to be expanding much more broadly than that over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. We're going to start to drive out on I-10, on I-20, Dallas to Atlanta, Dallas to LA. We might even do Atlanta to LA. So we're, going, we're talking real coast-to-coast operations. And that's going to require us to really beef up our operations staff. We're going to be building new trucks. We're going to build at least 15 new trucks, possibly more over the next 24 months. And of course, all of this takes capital. But and you've got what, 10 trucks in the field right now? That's right. We have 10 trucks in our fleet today, and we're looking to more than double that over the next what, 12 months. What does it cost to build a truck for you guys? So trucks, to just to buy the truck, it costs around 150 or so thousand dollars. That's a that's yeah. a very ballpark figure. Those those numbers are actually heavily negotiated. And then to retrofit our system onto a truck today at the volumes that we work with, which are the single unit volumes. It costs us about $150,000. But we see that price coming down significantly over time as the technology matures, as the volumes increase, um, and as the, the systems become more reliable. Right. And do the systems eventually just get built into the truck itself so you, rather than building something, retrofitting it? It's, it's built that way on the front end? Eventually, yes. The OEMs are all working on that. We're working closely with OEMs and their tier one suppliers. So... OEMs work with a lot of other companies to supply technology, and we are we see ourselves eventually slotting into that technology supply chain, working alongside the OEMs to integrate this technology straight at the factory floor. Right. So um, from a, a kind of political and regulatory standpoint, uh, where does the industry stand? And you just mentioned kind of going from Dallas to Atlanta, wherever it is. Um, what do you need to do to be able to travel interstate as opposed to intrastate? It's a good question. I, as you know very well, the regulatory environment is a patchwork in the United States. There's yep. there's municipal legislation, there's state regulations, there's federal regulations. And right now, there's a lot of support at the state level, particularly in states across the southern United States. There's a law in Texas, as an example, where you know, we're explicitly allowed to operate driverless today. If we were ready, we could go driverless in Texas today. And, and then, then, of course, the question is, how does that relate state to state? And what are the, the interstate the regulations? And the truth of the matter is that for heavy-duty regs, as, as we say, for, for trucks, for Class 8 trucks, the federal government really hasn't yet made a firm announcement about what the policy is. We currently feel confident and comfortable that this technology is deployable broadly, uh, mm -hmm. provided that the states are on board that we're operating into. But this is something that we're actively working on. We're working on this as an industry. We work together as a coalition with all of our, our competitors in this space to work with the state and, and federal governments to ensure that we have clear line of sight towards a very explicit permission to deploy this technology broadly. Do, do you see any, now that we've got a different administration and different DOT leadership, ha have you seen any change in attitude towards autonomous trucking? Surprisingly, the attitude has always been one of positivity. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the, I think, one of the biggest misconceptions about the AV industry is that regulators across the country generally 
see the safety and efficiency benefits of this technology, and they want to see it come to market as soon as possible. And, uh, you know, we worked with the previous administration, we're working with the current administration. And yeah, I think that it's looking very positive. Of course, as you know, politics are politics, right? And priorities are priorities. This this doesn't always make the, the 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 first cut, and of course they've been working on the infrastructure bill for a long time, and that's something we can also talk about. But we definitely see a positive path. We see support at the federal level, and we think that this is this is definitely um, a regulatory environment that is going to be supportive of of the rollout of our technology. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, what did you think of the infrastructure bill? How does it impact you guys specifically? So it includes a few nice to haves for AVs, things like local government funding for AV-friendly infrastructure, some research dollars, and some, some other projects. But generally speaking, AVs need the same kinds of infrastructures that, that infrastructure that humans drivers do. We need well-paved roads. We need clear lane markings. Ideally, we don't like to see potholes, just like you don't. And the kinds of investments that the infrastructure bill is going to make in fixing our basic infrastructure is going to be great for autonomous trucks. And another thing that people often ask me, and I think it's worth saying on, on the show, is we're not looking for anything special from an infrastructure standpoint, right? We don't want dedicated AV lanes. We don't want our own highway system. Those types of infrastructure changes are just not practical in the timeframes that we're looking to deploy this technology. And so we need to, we need to work within the existing system. So when we see this infrastructure bill that provides the support for things that human drivers really appreciate, AV trucks benefit as well. So I assume the listeners are thinking about like, okay, I know Google's got something going on. I've heard a couple of other names of companies. You know, there seems to be this thing about Nikola. You know, are all these guys just doing the same thing and competing with each other? Or, you know, do they each kind of have a niche that's specific? I guess I'm just trying to distinguish how you guys are, are different and, and therefore in some ways better than, than what they've heard of. Yeah, we're, we're definitely approaching things slightly different than many of the other players in the space. So for one, we're not looking to be a manufacturer. So that's that's something that we can say right off the bat. We don't want to build trucks. We're not looking to sell trucks in the traditional sense. We are a technology company. We provide self-driving technology. And what that means for us is it's it's an entire package. We integrate sensors like LiDAR and radar and cameras along with compute infrastructure, networking and, and information handling, along with our proprietary and innovative software to solve the understanding of the environment problem. So how do we understand what's going on around us, around the truck? And then we use the intelligence and the machine learning and the AI that we've developed to make intelligent, safe decisions about how to actually drive the vehicle. And ultimately, that boils down to how do we turn the steering wheel? How do we press the gas pedal? And how do we press the brake, right? Because that's how we control a vehicle. We control a vehicle the same way you and everyone else does every each and every day. Um, so we're really that technology provider. And there are other companies that are doing something similar, but everybody's a little bit different. And we think that we've been able to innovate in a, in a, in a couple special ways that, that really differentiates Kodiak amongst our competitors. So when we're at Fully Autonomous and, and you guys are providing the OEMs with the, the technology on the front end, will trucks still have steering wheels and gas pedals or, or do you not need any of that? It's a good question. And a lot of people are starting to think about this. And there's actually startups that are starting to crop up around the manufacturing space trying to think about 
what does the AV truck of the future look like? And I always find this a fascinating uh, idea to think about uh, coming up with concepts. The, the truth of the matter is, no, we don't need steering wheels and the traditional cabin like the way we think about it today. Uh, the truth of the matter is that in the short term, there's two things to consider. One, these AB trucks are ultimately going to be needed need to be moved around by human drivers, right? Let's assume that we need to pull them out of uh, a storage facility. There's maintenance that work that needs to be done. They're not going to be in autonomy mode 100% of their operational time. So we still need infrastructure for a human to hop in and maybe relocate it around the parking lot or something like that. So you can still imagine a role where a human driver hops in and, and relocates the vehicle, even if they're not driving it what we call over the road, meaning the hundreds or thousands of miles to, to deliver freight. And so for that reason, it's still nice to have a steering wheel and traditional controls in, in the cockpit. Um, the other issue is it's, a, it's kind of a chicken and egg problem. Nobody wants to design an AV-capable, non-human-driven truck before the AV capability is actually there. So I think there's a nice staged approach to this. First, we demonstrate on a traditional platform that the AV technology is safe and reliable. And once we've done that, then you're going to see a lot. I think you're going to see a surge of interest in uh, developing new and innovative cabins and platforms that are going to house the AV technology in ways that we've we've never seen before. So it's a really exciting topic. I think in the next, let's say, five to ten years, it's going to become top of mind. It's something that we probably talk about more often. Uh, and I, I'm really excited about that future. Yeah, me too. So then last question, which kind of fits perfectly into it, which is, okay, you come back on in, in two and a half years, as is our pattern. Um, where's Kodiak? We've made a tremendous amount of progress in the last two and a half years. We've gone from concept and idea to really a capable system that's driving real commercial freight for for American goods each and every day on our highways. And it's doing so almost flawlessly. In the next two and a half years, for us, it's really about proving out the the, the the validity of our what we call our safety case. So imagine I claim our truck is really safe, and you ask the question, well, how do I know it's safe? So it's on us to go through this really elaborate, sophisticated statistical explanation as to why under all circumstances do we feel confident that our truck is able to handle things as well as a human driver would in the moment and so over the next two and a half years we're going to need to be proving out that set of uh those set of, of, of challenges so it's really the validation stage doing the functional analysis on the on the hardware side showing all the redundancy and all the fallback characteristics of the system if there's diagnostic faults and things that go wrong within the system and making sure that all the health checks are working not as that's the stuff that's a little bit less sexy that's really what we're working on now and I think that when we talk two and a half years from now, we are going to be very close, if not already there, but very close to actually deploying a production level driverless system on the roads. All right. Well, that's going to be very cool and beneficial for all of us. So, Don, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. 